Ford, you know, at the end of in 2022, by you know, this is coming from the CEO's mouth, left two billion dollars on the table because of operational efficiencies. This is something and recalls. This is a company that's almost 120 years old. So Rivian has and other companies like it cannot fuck around. And I feel like there's a lot of fucking around finding out bullshit going on. The show just got good. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. As always, I'm Alex Roy, the founder of the Human Driving Association, a veteran of Argo AI, and now management consultant. Don't ask me the name of the company because we're not allowed to self-deal on this show. DM me and pay for it on LinkedIn to show that you mean business. Uh, and I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Kirsten Korosek. Transportation editor at TechCrunch and not a shill for my other private businesses like Ed and Alex. Welcome well, there's a fine, there's a fine line, isn't there, between, between being proud Wait of your work and, and being a shill. So many protests, okay. so many protests. We are good faith people here. We are not the all-in podcast talking our own book. I have a question for right. you, my friends. Elon Musk, Ed's hero and Kirsten's foil. Stated a few days ago that he was gonna, if you didn't pay eight bucks for blue check mark, you couldn't vote in polls and you wouldn't be able to see non blue check marked accounts, I think, in your feed. Uh, how do you feel about this, friends? I'm sorry, what, what's Twitter again? And, and who's this Elon Musk character? Kirsten? I will not be paying for any kind of check mark of any kind. Okay. I'll, I'll, let me just say this. I have no problem and paying for it. And polls don't matter on Twitter. So there you go. I have no problem paying for it because social media is a sewer and the best way I agree with him on this one topic, the best way to get rid of the bots is to make them pay. Oh boy. And uh, I've derived a lot of value. I, my yeah. friendship with both of you came is because of Twitter. I can see this topic's getting no traction. So moving on to mobility. <laughs> uh, well, let's just wrap that up by that. One of the worst takes of 2023 so far comes from <laughs> Alex <laughs> talking about how paying for Twitter somehow will get rid of bots. Yeah. But I digress. Yeah. But I digress. Oh I can't believe I'm, I'm, I'm the sucker. All right. What do you got? Because we have some cool topics. What do you got? Anything else you want to bring up? Well, we we all were briefly um, – I was there, I think, the longest. Alex was there for one day and Ed was there for a few days. But we all converged to Austin um, earlier in March um, for South by Southwest. And you know, Ed and I saw a few th- interesting things, but there was a palpable – palpable lack of transportation and mobility, um, not just announcements, but just fervor, interest, um, panels. There just was very few. Um, it seemed to me that at least um, the, the hot topics, if you were to base it on the lines to get into some of the panel discussions, was uh, psychedelics, cannabis and quantum computing slash and AI. Um, Ed, you wrote about this actually. Tell us about your Substack uh, poem. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, my buddy, uh, uh, Dr. Buck uh, uh, from Twitter um, has a, a Substack called the 69th Chamber that I've been contributing to a little bit. Uh, and so I wrote something called Sad by Southwest about this. And yeah, you know, it's... Um, you know, I have to caveat this by saying like the last time I was there was 2019. So that was the before times and we did not realize how good we had it. And, and, you know, I know it's not fair to compare almost anything pre COVID to anything post COVID. So 
you know, I'm probably being a little harsh on South by, but yeah, definitely when it comes to mobility tech, there's a lot less, definitely like there's almost no startups. The only real mobility tech startup there was uh, a light chip, which is actually pretty cool. Um, kind of an interesting product. And, and actually I think we, is that the electric RV guys? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting electric RV. I think we're going to try and get someone like maybe do do an episode with, uh, with them. So the I don't know how much yeah. we want to say Kirsten. Yeah. I mean, we'll just say that like, they had the classic um, installation where you got to see something that was real. I will, I will give them a lot of credit that it was a concept, but it had like everything worked in it. Unlike, um, you know, non-functioning concepts that that are quite common in the automotive world. Everything worked on it. I wrote about it, um, and it was it was interesting to see. But 2019, 2018, there was just a lot of hype in the mobility space in general. Um, this is, you know, during COVID, um, that was the run up with the big SPAC, um, you know, popularity with going public via SPAC. But in 2018, 2019, it sort of preceded that time. So it was a lot of startups, um, a lot of startups looking for money and being able to raise it and a, a bit of hype. So a very different feel than this time around. Now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't any transportation or mobility action but it leaned heavily into lifestyle. So like for uh, Porsche had a big house there, but it was like very lifestyle oriented. Um, there was the Daimler trucks thing, uh, which Ed participated in, but really there wasn't that um, same level. And South by is oftentimes reflective of like, what is the hot topic culturally in the moment um, in the United States and, you know, mobility, just isn't. And it also, Kirsten, it, it also wasn't just mobility, right? Too. I mean, like, like, um, you know, even social media. And I, I wasn't as like all over South by as as I, I think maybe I was in 2019. So maybe I just didn't see as much. But like, like I, uh, this year, Slack had like sort of a you know activation center house, whatever you want to call one of these sort of like bigger presences at, at South by. But like, I mean, obviously Twitter wasn't there. <laughs> they don't have the money yeah. for, for that anymore there <laughs> until Alex starts paying. <laughs> Twitter did not but, have its but, house with its like free, Facebook, pu- with its, with its puppy, with its puppy yeah. exhibit. Like it has in previous years. No, Facebook and Meta, you there. know, now Meta, like they're not there. They're, they're just, I guess they, maybe they have a presence in the metaverse version of South by, but like it, it just in general, like it, it you know, I think like we focus on the mobility part and, but like in general, it just kind of feels like the tech sector is not feeling its oats the way it once was. And, and of course, you know, we have to <laughs> be clear, this literally happened the weekend or like immediately, I, I arrived like the weekend that South uh, Silicon Valley Bank blew up basically. Right. So, you know, so that there was, was also- a lot of that. There yeah. was a lot of that. I mean, Silicon Valley Bank actually had a party scheduled at, at, at <laughs> South by, which it, which it smartly canceled. Um oh. Listen, you know, TechCrunch had an event um, and we had a lot of local and some people who flew in um, who were there to attend South by investors and founders. And certainly SVB was a huge topic of discussion. However, it wasn't it wasn't the only topic of discussion. And there was a lot of interest in um, AI, quantum, um, you know, uh, not so much social media and some mobility stuff, not a ton. Space was a big topic, uh, cybersecurity defense. So I think that like there is, there was some activity there, but it wasn't as, um, 
consumer facing? Present in every facet like you normally would have seen it. A lot of the installations and exhibits were big entertainment powerhouses um, like Amazon Prime and Paramount and things like that. And that's always been a presence, but there was always underlying a lot um, in the realm of startups. I will say that one area that I did see a lot of activity around, a lot of discussion around was climate tech. And um, there is some overlap with transportation, but just not in the same way. Uh, There was, of course, though, one keynote discussion that was transportation related, and that was um, GM chair and CEO Mary Barra and Kyle Vogt of Cruise. I went to that session. It got a little spicy um, at one point when they finally both kind of went up against Tesla. So brave. Um, and, and, and really talked about how calling something full self-driving, uh, creates a lot of risk for the rest of the, uh, for, for drivers and for the public, but also for the industry as a whole. And now they afterwards, say that now? yeah. <laughs> so afterwards I said, I'm so glad that you joined, um, this because I feel like I've been beating my head up against the wall for several years now, but, we welcome them to, you know, to the club of, hey, maybe it's not a good idea to call an advanced driving assistance system full self-driving. I mean, at, at the point that the Secretary of Transportation is saying this, like, it's no longer a brave thing to say, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't mean it's not like you say. It's it's worth saying, right? Like, you can't you can't say it enough, but, right. but yeah. Well, I think that that sentiment existed, but automakers would sort of do the wink and the nod of agreement that, hey, this isn't great. And they would privately, you know, either on background or, you know, very subtly kind of say yes. But there there seems to be more of a movement lately, um, again, several years after the fact. Of six this six years. Being, six years. Yeah. <laughs> of this product being rolled out, of more publicly saying, hey, this is an issue. So um, I'm sure that there's a strategy for uh, behind that, <laughs> um, why else come out now? Um, and maybe it's around policy, um, or maybe Definitely. that it Definitely. is, or maybe that it's more people are using the product than they had anticipated for whatever reason. Now, and GM, Cruise, and others are more are being a lot more public um, and declarative about their opposition to using the term "full self driving" for an ADAS system. And, and no. I guess a week after that, the head of policy crews, didn't he leave? Mm, I don't know. I mean, yeah. keeping, keeping track of who's, who's, who's mostly leaving, but, but that's a revolving door space, problem. Yeah. There's been a lot of, uh, a lot of, of churn, let's call it. Um, yeah. To maybe be, uh, be generous. Dave Rubin? Now, now Cruz was, Kyle wasn't there just to, um, lambast Tesla. But uh, th- there was also a bit of an announcement that the Cruise Origin, which is their custom-built uh, self-driving vehicle, will be rolling out in testing mode first. So human driver, you know, operator. Um, in Austin's public streets, which I found interesting, one, it, they're not, it doesn't seem like they're going to San Francisco first. Um, and this should be happening, you know, any day now. Ed Where and I actually Austin? got to- Austin? Austin, yeah, and then and then aren't they okay? So, but but they're also like scaling to Phoenix, but that's not with the origins yet. Is that as right? As far as 
Yeah. So I think that ultimately Origin will be in Phoenix, but Austin and Phoenix were the next markets that they had identified. They had already kind of had a footprint in Phoenix area with various test pilots with the Chevy Bolt. Um, But now it seems like that is a market that they intend to scale. And of course, San Francisco. Um, So Ed and I got a chance to look at the production version of the cruise origin and Ed love to hear your impressions, but I'd safe to say very different. Um, some, some notable changes than the prototype that we all saw in January, 2020. Yeah. Su- surprise. Well, first of all, it was, I mean, it was weird. And again, this is one of those like little things that just kind of, kind of illustrate the the vibe shift thing that I was sort of talking about, which is like, it, it, the the origin I was I was surprised that there, you were like oh it's just over here it was like sort of in a corner of a food cart pod which like yeah. I feel like a couple of years ago if they were showing the first production cruise origin like there would have been fireworks and like I mean we went to the unveil in 2020 uh, early 2020 and it was like a very big event um, and and like now it's like oh here's the actual car like next to a bunch of food carts um which which was interesting but yeah the the design of this vehicle is um considerably different than than the than what we saw at the unveil in, so? in 2020 so the the first thing that hit me is that and and it's fascinating because i've been thinking about robo taxi design a bit since we saw the the waymo one which we've talked about a bit the waymo Gili um or zeker i should say uh, uh design and you know, the thing that I, and I was trying to remember, it'd been a couple of years and I, I remember being in the Waymo and thinking, wow, this thing is so much lower and kind of, kind of more aerodynamic than the, the cruise origin, which felt like a big, like room or something. It felt very much like a, a large, tall space. It seems to me, and again, we, we should really probably have someone from cruise on, um, or GM or whoever to, to kind of confirm these impressions because it was sort of quick, but it seems to be much lower. The roof line seems to be lower. So you go and you sort of sit in it and it, it kind of feels more of like a, you know, more like a car than like a big like room on wheels, um, than the the uh, the concept version did. Um, lots of ch- of changes in the interior. There's sort of under seat seat storage now. The upholstery is totally like the seating is is quite different. Um, it's a much more of like kind of like a, a softer upholstered uh, seating, more like a car seat. Much than- less. It had a very plasticky yeah. sort of subway feel initially, and this had. You know, the fake wood grain floor, um, some, um, I believe some separation between the seats. So the floor was, the floor was like that before. No, there's still no separation between the seats, but it's, it's like got softer upholstery it, before I called it the McDonald's of mobility, the, the concept one. Cause it's what it felt like. It felt like sitting on my, and I don't think it's a bad thing. Like it's, it just, you know, McDonald's are designed the way they are for good reasons. Um, but this seems like it is trying to be a little more plush and comfortable and um like there's like cup holders and like grab handles and things like that that weren't on the concept either right and we should have someone from cruise on to sort of talk about the different changes but they were notable enough i believe that the screens of of how people uh you know presumably riders would would view the route were in different locations um and there was like this softer feel to it and did you notice if the ride height was different? Did it seem lower to you? So the the roof definitely felt lower for sure. 
I didn't really look, I was, I, you know, we were there for what, less than 10 minutes probably. And I had to like run off to the, I was like already stressing about catching my flight. Um, but so, so again, I'd, I'd like to also spend a little more time and, 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 you know, and, and talk to one of the designers and, and confirm. I don't, I didn't notice that the floor was necessarily lower, but it wouldn't surprise me because the whole thing overall felt lower. And if they brought the roof down, there's a good chance they, they kept, got, got the floor down as well. Is it, Ed, is there storage or like a, a trunk? So it looks like the storage. So they did not let us open the, the hatches. Um, but it does look like there is potentially, a little more. There was there's storage in the. I'd actually forgotten about that. I had to go back and look at my pictures. There was storage in the concept version as well, kind of behind the seats. So it's similar to what's in the Waymo, um, but with the Waymo, there's like the bigger headrests and um, and and so which kind of created like a bigger sort of storage space behind your head. Um, so I, you know, I, I, it's going to be hard. It's going to be interesting to see the very first time we get like the Zooks and the Cruise and the and the Waymo all in the, all in one place and be able to actually compare all three designs is going to be really interesting. Until then, it, it's not like cars where we have you know like a century of design language and like concepts and whatever that we can kind of like baseline from. This is a totally new type of vehicle and like it's very hard, especially as a non professional designer, like. Uh, to, to actually compare these designs, especially based on renderings. And, and then now with the origin having changed, um, it's, it's just very hard to kind of ha- have a strong mental model of, of which is going to be better at what right now, the biggest difference between the three bespoke robo taxi designs is actually, and I think it's gonna be fascinating to see how this plays out is the, is that the Waymo has a windshield all in the Waymo, the seats all face forward and it's got a windshield. And the more time goes on, the more I think that's going to be, I, I, I mean, whatever, it's going to be different, right? Than the club seating. I'm curious if you're riding backwards in this, in one of these things, if you're facing, especially like a stranger, you know, and, and you can't really see forward and back very well because those windows on both the Zooks and the Cruise are not very big and you can kind of just look out the side. Is that going to be a pleasant experience versus a Waymo, which is going to be much more like a traditional car that just doesn't have a driver? I don't know. I'll, mm. I'll say this. So I've ridden, in, I haven't ridden in a cruise, but I've ridden in almost everything else from most of the big AV companies. And if you get out of the, if you get out of the vehicle visibility, although that's definitely a factor, just think about like, what can you actually use this for? What's the product? In, if you want to unlock the highest profit routes in any given city, you've got to go to the airport. You've got to be able to fit luggage. And yeah. that means higher speeds. And that yep. that that exacerbates the issue you brought up, Ed, which is you might want to look out the window. You might want to because stop and go traffic, acceleration, deceleration, higher the speeds, the more you want to have probably some optical input to have awareness of what's happening. And the Zeker, the Waymo Zeker, is a lot more optimized for airport pickup and drop than what you're describing from the cruise origin at this stage. Maybe there's more that we don't know. Um, but that's we need that's to be it. we need to have a full tour of of the yeah. the production, I think to to properly assess. But yeah, I mean the the lack of that 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 forward facing seating arrangement as opposed to the you know customer facing um, reminds me of my um, <laughs> daily you know rides on the L in, in Chicago where you know, there will be some where you would face each other when it was a group of you. And then otherwise you always wanted to be facing the direction you were traveling. Um, some people were fine facing going, you know, basically moving backwards, but you know, those were the least popular seats because, you know, uh, 
getting nauseous, basically. You know, um, go ahead. No, you. No, Alex. How, how much? How much uh, work did went on at, at Argo in terms of designing, like, sort of, you know, robo taxi experience? You know, because I know, I know, you know, or at least there, there was the talk was was that they were sort of more of a dual purpose thing. At least in the early generations, you wanted to do some robot, some mobility rides, and some delivery, and so. It didn't sound like a like a like a bespoke robotaxi was something that was like on the near term product path, but like you know, I have to imagine you all did some like research or thinking or design concepts or whatever around this. I'm honestly not sure at this time what I can and can't say. Um, <laughs> then um, just how, say it, just let it out, and we'll find however, out. <laughs> however, uh, you know, the Ford Escapes. I mean, what this is this is public knowledge. There were Ford Escapes deployed in. Uh, in uh, Miami and Austin. And, you know, the upside of the escapes is it's a lower cost vehicle. It's already in production. That's that benefits, you know, the vendor and the, who has provided the service. Uh, and also it has traditional layout. And so you can see out, um, but there wasn't, uh, I mean, there wasn't, you know, a lot of luggage space because you had some stuff in the trunk and, you know, Waymo's were trying to work this out with their vehicles for a long time too. And so, you know, we never got to public airport um, service. And so that remained unsolved or for well, that product did not exist at the time of the company shut down, but obviously there was a roadmap for that. And uh, the, you know, the VW ID buzz, it's a really cool vehicle ticks all those boxes. It solved all of that. And, I, you know, I'm sure Ford will come up with something. Um, but in the context of Argo, the buzz was the one that at the time of shutdown to solve that. My, look, my favorite, uh, AV or tentative, not quite yet driverless vehicle that's deployed at a big company is the Motional, uh, Ionic, uh, Hyundai Ionic 5. It's, it's, that's a, you know, people have been complimenting Hyundai for this for a long time. They can't get enough praise because that looks like the future in a traditional form factor on a service uh, on that has scale, you know? And so I'm optimistic, I'm hopeful that they'll be able to, to make it. That's cool. I mean, if all services were created were a, at scale today, available anywhere and could go anywhere, which one would you want to get into? I mean, just based on like the look, feel and vibe, the Ionic 5 is the one. And right behind that for me would be like the Zeker and then like the Jaguar uh, I-Pace. And then everything else. So, so one thing before we move on, um, I I was thinking about, and I know that both of you have talked about how it's great that the Zeker has the ability to put luggage in back. And I, my only pushback on that is this: um, if you live in a big city, um, which we all have, but I'm thinking about my time in Chicago, there is no way in hell that I would put my luggage with a bunch of other strangers' luggage in the back of a vehicle that I couldn't have my eyes on at all times with people getting in and out. There's just no freaking way that, that I would ever do that. When you rode the L to the airport, you, you know, weren't stashing your suitcase somewhere. It was right in between your legs. Is that comfortable? No. Kirsten, one, one difference though, is that right. When you get on the L, you don't, your, your, your identification is not verified. Right. Whereas with a robot taxi, like when you get an Uber or whatever, you know, maybe you have a fake profile, but they know your profile. They know who you are. And so if you share a ride with someone to the airport and your luggage goes missing, they know who was on that vehicle. Like the list of suspects gets narrowed down pretty quickly. Whereas on the L, you have to go and I don't know, get security camera footage or whatever. 
yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that that would happen. I'm just saying that the the way that you operate in a large city, I just wonder how long it will take people to get comfortable with throwing their luggage in the back without having eyes on it with a bunch of strangers, even if security is great. I think you're, so. I think, and I think both in the in the cruise and the and the the Waymo. I don't know about the. I think the Zooks doesn't have any real luggage storage. I think that's one of the issues with the Zooks design. But with the cruise and the Waymo, it's just behind. It, you you can actually see the compartment. It's not like a cl- enclosed trunk, so you actually can see your luggage if you're seated across from it. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see once it launches, like how it is used, if how what people's comfort level is, like, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that it's good or bad. It's just an area that I think of when I, based on my time in living in big cities. But really, are you, what you're really getting at is, are you going to share that thing with anyone going to the airport? Do you want to? <laughs> well, I'm fine with sharing. Um, actually, I'm totally fine sharing space with people on the way to airports and things like that. I can tell you though, that if I was uh, landing at an airport, let's say Phoenix, um, since Waymo operates out of the 44th Street, which, by the way, you have to take a train to, airport train to, and then you can get off at that stop. I don't think I would want to share necessarily with someone at midnight by myself um, if it was just one person and then there's no one else. Now, that being said, I was on trains oftentimes very late at night in Chicago. And did I feel uncomfortable sometimes? Yes. Have you ever been alone in a human powered taxi where you where you felt unsafe because of the driver? Yes. But so so I would say that um I as I'm not saying that this is just specifically a woman thing. Um I'm sure that there are many men out there who have also felt uncomfortable, but at the times I have felt uncomfortable in a human driven taxi, I can count, you know, multiple times um on a train multiple times and I've been assaulted on a train before. So that is why when um, I, my um, interest level in sharing with anyone at late at night is just very low, <laughs> especially because yeah. But you're also you're also typically doing construction work while you do while you do this, right? So like j- yeah, just like, that's actually not me. I think oh, that, is that's that Alex. Alex? Oh, yes, that's Alex. Oh, no. okay. um, so uh, so you know, I would say this. Um, have I been harassed by the occasional, like in my past with, by a taxi driver? Yes. But they were in the front seat. They were not sitting next to me. And so, and have I gotten up and moved in a subway, uh, or the L in Chicago because, uh, people being weird? Yes. Um, absolutely. But there isn't an option really to do that. So I would probably want to order a robo taxi late at night and not share it with anyone. Well, I, I'll say this about the about the robot taxi designs. I think it's what's to me is fascinating is that is that I think a few years ago, especially you know quite a few years ago when people were starting these designs, there was a premium, at least from investors or certain kinds of investors on things looking futuristic. Like a big part of robot taxi, the appeal of robot taxis is that they're it's new, it's not the novelty, and and this is something new and different and and sci-fi and cool and whatever. And I think what's interesting is is that. We may see, and and again, like I don't want to assume that the Waymo design, you know, the the forward seating and the windshield and things like that. I don't want to assume those are definitely going to be better. We have to wait and see, uh, you know, how, what people's experiences in the real world are. But like, we may well see a swing of the pendulum away from sort of sci-fi for the sake of being novel and sci-fi to kind of back towards actually more traditional vehicle design for some of these applications. And so, 
Uh, it won't be just the Waymo. The, also, as as Alex says, the Hyundai Ionic Five is just it's a it's a repurposed, already very cool, futuristic looking ve- uh, vehicle, uh, and it's possible that people may enjoy riding in a fairly normal car more than they do something that's designed to look different for the sake of it, rather than for solving a specific, you know, problem with regular taxis. Right? Shall we move on to the next topic, friends? <laughs> How about I say, shall we move on to the next topic since um, Alex is living in an active construction zone right now? Either that or he's at the dentist. No, no. My air conditioning is being replaced. Uh, And where I am, it's necessary. I see. (laughs) Is that important in Miami? Uh, Yes. Let's move on. So uh, apparently Siri decided to um, join in on the conversation. Sorry, folks. Uh, So... I think we should move on to something, but thematically actually pretty similar um, to the Sad by Southwest, which is there's a lot of mobility woes right now. Um, companies are unable to get um, you know capital. Uh, the SPAC movement seems to have <laughs> burst, and there's a lot of struggles there. Uh, there is a, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of constraints and challenges facing mobility in general right now. Would you agree? Yeah. And I, I can't believe I've been looking for this, but like, I, I still can't find it, but <laughs> maybe I will by the time we're done recording this. But there was a tweet a while back about, um, it was sort of saying like, you know, leave, leave Bird alone. People have been tweeting a lot about Bird, the, the scooter company, um, as being like one of the most egregious examples of like a disconnect between the amount of, of, of money that was paid in versus uh, the current market cap. And there was a great tweet from someone that was saying, hey, leave Bird alone. They're not the only problem. And, and there's a lot of these companies out there. And um, unfortunately, I can't, I can't find the tweet. But this is definitely tied to the fact that like there aren't a lot of, especially of big, ambitious mobility tech companies. I think that's where like the struggle has been a little bit. For example, Lightship, the, the company that, that, you know, the one sort of mobility tech startup that was at at South by Southwest, they're not talking about changing the world. They're making an expensive RV, you know, for rich people to tow behind the Rivian or the F one fifty Lightning. Like, it's it's almost refreshing in the sense of like this is a this is a premium product. It's designed to be pretty and functional, but like you know, it, it's for a very specific kind of consumer, and it's not for everybody. It's not going to change the world. And it does solve a problem. The one which is the towing loss of range problem. So. They do hit that. I mean, and I'm not defending them. I'm just saying. No, no. I they yeah. they like they're like this is a problem. Great, and then they're like, yes, it's very expensive, like six figure, you know, product that you're going to buy. Yeah, and it's a problem. It's a problem for a couple thousand people who have Rivians, and you know, or a few tens hey. of thousands of people. No, I'm, and again, I'm, I'm saying like problem. It's the okay. If you want to virtue signal and vice signal at the same time, the only alternative is like a test. That's good. Yeah, maybe a loose. And for a lot of people, that's an essential component of their identity. And Rivian solves that. I mean, for Instagram, right? Like if 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 you especially make a a living by stunting on Instagram, this would be great. You can take your electric truck out in the middle of nowhere and tow something without it losing all of its all of its range. Yeah, you have extra power to to run, you know, your induction stove and, you know, take a shower and whatever and and and, you know, 
bathe in between your uh, your Instagram photo shoots. Um, and so, you know, so and again, much like, hate. but like that's all so it much is. Hate. Wow. wow. No, when did I'm you not go changing this way? these are these are um, like this is like the these are like the factories of our modern economy, you guys. This is important stuff. Like if we don't have influencers out in nature with their electric trucks taking photos, like our entire economy crumbles. So this is it's it's important. I'm just saying like it's not, you know, it's not like bird and lift where it's like, oh, we're gonna disrupt private car ownership. Like that's not the pitch, right? And like and like think about, you know, Uber and Lyft have gone from we're disrupting car private car ownership to and and we're going to be like it's all going to be self driving and we're going to like be the google of like moving around in physical space to like we're, we're sort of a taxi aggregator and like we're never going to make money let alone have a market cap that will you know that, that will match the amount this? of capital that's been dumped on us like with too many rivians in portland is that is that what prompted this <laughs> well just just to before we go down that road i will say that um, I think part of the mobility woes and especially like maybe how companies that are popping up are not have the same, they don't have the same messaging and mission of like, we're going to disrupt private car ownership because those startups that have tried to do that have ended up being, you know, like in the case of Uber and Lyft, not the case. Um, and in the case of scooter companies, as expensive as taking a vehicle. Uh, Ryan Rosbecki, who was the um, co-founder of Jump, Jump being the the, uh, the bike, the e-bike company slash then later scooter company that Uber bought, and now parts of it are in Lime. He had a great he had a great tweet the other day, um, and he said, "I use Lime a lot while in Austin, and the experience was bittersweet. It was great to see design elements of our bikes and scooters live on." But the average short ride was around $10 when traveling with a friend, taking two bikes did not make economic sense versus a car. And he went on with a thread to talk about how when they launched Jump, the idea was that it would be $2. So to me, what I think is there's an identity crisis going on with the startups that came around the 2014, 15, 16 and up and the ones that are coming now. They they sought to disrupt things like private car ownership, and it has just become another thing that's expensive um, in a lot of cases. And so, you know, what is their identity? Like, how do they message? Like, what is their what is the point? Is it just because it's scooters are fun? For instance, um, my scooter rides in Austin were very expensive. Yeah, and I, I don't mind paying a little bit more for a scooter under certain circumstances because it is it's faster under certain circumstances than any of the alternatives, right? And like I think South by Southwest is actually one of the good use cases for it. And like and like you know it's a, it's a service with a niche, but again, like I think you know that's I think that's what where startups are having to go. And like I think the venture capital model is going to struggle with funding this because venture capital is all about the slugging average, finding that one company, right? Investing in a bunch of companies so that you hit that one that has the massive scale and the truly like, you know, structural transformative potential. And the reality is, is that like mobility is, is not, is, is really hard to approach that way. There is no just like thing that is going to, one thing that is going to completely replace cars. Like electric cars cannot just come in and completely replace cars wholesale. They are different and they force us to relate to mobility differently. And so, you know, um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if venture capital continues to fund companies that are just more realistic about what their, what their market is and what their, what their sort of TAM and, and, and their sort of ultimate 
you know, potential as a business is, um, you know, is venture capital just not going to fund that and just go back to AI and software and stuff where they think there is like sort of that infinite TAM and that like sort of, you know, infinite, you know, scalability. Um, because the reality is, is like if there's one big lesson from the last 10 years or I mean, there's a lot, but like one of them in mobility tech is, is just that like mobility tech is very, very difficult to scale. You can create good products and services, you know, that solve specific problems and that create economic, like the, it's not that there's not opportunities, but it's just, it just has to be more limited. And, and basically the Google, like a Google of the physical world, which is what every venture capitalist who got into mobility tech wanted some version of like, best of luck again, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there's, there is some opportunity out there that no one's thought of. And, and, you know, the VCs that get in on it are going to make a killing or whatever. But after 10 years of trying, I don't know what, what that looks like. Agreed. It's just, it's just a harder thing and, and go figure, right? Like the physical world is harder to organize and make sense of than, then, then you know, an abstract world of ones and zeros. Like it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, look, these these companies raise money in a low interest rate environment. They had business models that weren't baked, but they had mountains of cash, and now they're trying to make it work based on models that could never work. So, it is what it is. They all pick themselves. Great to be a scooter manufacturer, not so great being a fleet shared operator. So. Yeah. Are you saying that there are zombie companies out there? Um, <laughs> Yes, of a lot of companies still have to go. And, and, and that's there are the reality. a lot of companies that have to go out of business. They just have to. Like, and that's the good capitalism for capitalism to work. Things that don't work have to stop continuing, and things that work survive and and grow and prosper. Huh. And and that doesn't uh, mean that the companies that lesson in capitalism, Alex. No, it's not, that wasn't for you, Kristen. Kirsten, that was for oh. our audience. If there's anyone out there who. I'm, you know, so I have a I'm pretty sure there are no communists in our audience. None, not zero. But yet, there are people out there. Who, oh, there's you know, definitely not. We have more than zero communists in our in our listenership. I can guarantee do, you of that. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I consider uh, myself a centrist, but it's amazing to me that you know people are trying to shoehorn failing business models into into thing like supporting, supplanting, or even replacing transit. And then the day those companies go under, cities get upset. Because they need partnerships that last. They don't need partnerships that, that you know, are two but years long. Just to be clear, being a centrist isn't an economic position. It just is a political position. But anyway. Um, <laughs> well, well, and, and I, but we also oh, should be clear too. Well, let's get Paris Mars back in the show and see what he has to say. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So there's – you know, there's so much like – like I feel like there's, you know – so many like heuristics here that, that get confused. And like, like one of them is that like, if the, the, if the tech is good, the company does well. And I, I, this is something that in this ecosystem, like people really want to believe this. And I think also like part of it is because the companies, you know, and founders who go out and get the money, like they want to be working on the tech. They don't necessarily, they're not necessarily all people who want to build businesses. A lot of times they're people who want to build cool tech. And so like a lot of these companies have done like have created an enormous amount of progress in these technologies. Just think about Bird with scooters. I mean, I had the pleasure of talking to um, you know the guys who did a lot of the design on on um, I want to say it was Bird's third generation scooter, where they went to a lot of the castings and stuff. Um, I met him at the Micromobility Conference, and it was just like fascinating guy to talk to. And like the amount of progress that's been made in understanding like what how do affordably manufacture a robust micromobility device that stands up to like, like incredible amounts of learning have gone into this. And, and now there's like the state of the art has gone 
dramatically, just as in AVs. And we talked, you know, uh, Bubergit Halder uh, a few months, you know, a while back now, actually, uh, you know, he, he was talking about how this tech dividend from robo taxis, where all the money was sunk into pushing the technology forward, is really starting to pay off in, in places where there is economic advantage in the near term, like, you know, the kinds of, uh, uh, you know, uh, construction and excavation equipment that he works on. So like, it's really important that people understand, like, there's a huge difference between the failure of a company and economically and whether or not that company created good technology and and whether or not you know this these whole bubbles push technology forward because they all did in in really meaningful ways and so i think to me you know instead of the lesson being like oh well this technology all failed i think now what's there's a really interesting opportunity for vcs and 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 others to to think about like okay what are the businesses now that we have you know, now that the technology has been pushed so far forward in all of these different areas, again, whether it's micromobility, whether it's AVs, whether it's drive, you know, driver assistance, other things, and we've learned some really hard lessons along the way, how do we create new businesses that aren't necessarily about pushing the state of the art of, of the technology forward, but of taking the, the tech dividend that we've all earned out of this and, and applying it to a business model that, that actually works, right? And that actually has you know, some opportunity in the near term. And on that note... <laughs> but i mean that, but like but like more businesses are gonna yeah, die yeah, right that, that's a good point i i've be personally become a little bit more pessimistic actually a lot more pessimistic about some of the companies i was kind of hopeful about i mean canoe you know i know we've talked a little bit about them um i was i loved that product i wanted to love that company so bad and like the, i just have lost all confidence in them because of their leadership changes and things like that but even companies like rivian Rivian for me was like one of the companies I really wanted to see sort of take the good that that Tesla sort of you know showed was possible and and kind of really address some of the challenges and and shortcomings of of Tesla's approach and I worry that they've kind of that they're just another Tesla and that and that they haven't necessarily hey, made whoa, whoa just another Tesla <laughs> it's just a, no I know I'm sure they would love to be another Tesla but I mean, what I mean, just another Tesla, I mean, meaning like another Tesla back where Tesla was sort of at Model S, end of Model S, right? And 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 Tesla almost went bankrupt so many times in that time frame. Um, and I mean, you look at Ford and Ford is is having to completely, I mean, as much success as they're having with the Mach-E and the Lightning, they're talking about an entirely new ground up platform, new factory, new everything for this next generation of trucks. And it's because they've said... Even with all the success of the of the Lightning, they're not making money on it, and the Mach E, like they're not they're actually losing a lot money. of money on they're it. Losing and a lot of money on it. And not only that, I think that you know, if anyone is unclear how difficult it is to build and sell vehicles at a profit, Ford, you know, at the end of in 2022, by you know, this is coming from the CEO's mouth, left two billion dollars on the table because of operational efficiencies. This is something and recalls. This is a company that's almost 120 years old. So Rivian has and other companies like it cannot fuck around. And I feel like there's a lot of fucking around finding out bullshit going on. The show just got good. At at these companies because um, there's always this tantalizing sort of siren song that some companies fall into or they 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 move towards, which is especially publicly traded companies, if we, we talk about new products, we keep interest high, but at the risk of getting really great existing products out and making profit off of those existing products. And I think Rivian is in this 
spot where they are at extreme risk of going down that road. Um, RJ on our stage at TechCrunch said something like, and I have to go back for the exact quote, but something like half of their company is dedicated to new products, which I actually found really terrifying because um, you have a company that's spread out trying to build a new factory in Georgia, has an existing factory, has technically three products. I guess you could say four if you count the two different trims in the van. That should be the 100% focus, not e-bikes, not all this other bullshit. Um, the next platform is, of course, important. But if you don't nail the existing product, you're going to get into a really bad place. And I'm hopeful for Rivian, but right now it just seems like a lot of confusion about what people are working on, what they're doing, and just getting that existing product out. So I, I think that they need to like get a little bit more conservative and strict about what they're doing and really repurpose people or they're going to find themselves in a bad place. And and meanwhile, you know, everyone who wants to see more electric vehicles, uh, you know, you got to also re- recognize that one of the things that gives a company like Ford the opportunity to do what they're doing, to move as aggressively as they are towards a more economically viable EV platform is that they've got trucks and SUVs that, you know, you may not like for environmental reasons and road safety reasons and all these other reasons, but that's what's paying the bills. And like the reason Rivian isn't able to kind of do this sort of T3 program that, that, that Ford's doing. Uh, and at this point in their junction, like it's, it's because who's going to keep sinking more money into this company, right? Like, like Ford, you know, if you have a high profit vehicle business that may not be, you know, what gets you kudos at the South by Southwest or wherever, right? Like, like, but th- that's, what's paying the bills and that's what's allowing them to do it. And that's kind so of you, oh, uh, where we're clear, at right on now. that note. I would tell you, <laughs> no. I, I actually, I think they should keep the the bicycle development because honestly, I think they'll sell like hotcakes. R- Rivian e-bikes. Oh, I'm huh? sure they will. It's it's more anecdotal that I'm not saying that an e-bike isn't a good idea. I'm just saying that when you're trying and you're when you're trying to scale a company and nail your existing products, which by the way I really like. I actually really like the truck. I think that there's some specific branding things that they did super smart. There's some design things. They're super smart. I know Ed and I disagree on that a little bit, but I really like the Rivian. I want them to do well. They just seem incredibly distracted. And I think that that's dangerous. Um, Companies like Canoe are so far gone. I don't even know what saves them. And it's too bad because I did drive the vehicle and it was fantastic. It was really cool. And, And with Ford's business, yeah, they have an ICE business that is profitable and by the way, their commercial business is profitable and becoming more so. Hugely that profitable. is propping up the EV business right now. Companies like Rivian don't have that. And I think that's what Ed meant, is that they don't have anything to prop up the business. That means that their existing business has to be great. And that means getting more cars out to people and not having recalls and you know, the toughest part about manufacturing. Yeah. And I will say this about, I mean, about Rivian, I, you can't leave the, I can't leave the house here in, in Portland, Oregon without seeing one. So they're having some success. Like, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Like, I think they're, they're doing a good job of, of kind of, you know, getting that, that customer that's burnt out on Tesla, both in terms of, you know, maybe the, the Elon Musk image issues and, and uh, you know, maybe some of the other stuff. It, it's clearly the hot ride to have, at least here in the Pacific Northwest. So who could have guessed that, who right. could have guessed that Portland would have been the right market for Rivian? Anyone I, who ever studied Subaru's history. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, my friends, we're running low on time. 
Yeah, true. Um, Alex has other more important things to do. So um, I have nothing more to say on the topic except for that it does seem like 2023 is – it's going to be different and challenging for mobility companies. And the ones that are going to be most successful, I think, are the ones that are going to really figure out like exactly what they're doing and, and start tossing away – what their previous vision was about disrupting disrupting X industry and really kind of nailing the product um, and focusing on that. Yeah. When I, I didn't mention it at all, but I mean, to me, like, I think the, the cool thing about being at South by Southwest was, was hanging out with the folks from Daimler Trucks who are, have had electric semi trucks, you know, testing with customers for two years and they're making them here in Portland, Oregon. And, um, you know, people don't know about it. People don't, it's, it's like not the thing that's getting the hype and it's because they're quiet and keeping their heads down and kind of, but, but, you know, to me, it's uh, the ability of an established company like that to kind of create an internal startup and and get a product to market like this. Um, you know, again, like this is not a semi truck that's going to solve every trucking you know route ever. It's it's got limitations, but it's real and exists. And I think that as time goes on, I think those are going to be the things. Those are the things that I'm getting more and more excited about. Um, and so I think there's still a lot of that going on. It's just not going to be as, as hypey and you're gonna have to work a little harder to find the cool stuff I think going forward. Cool. Well, on that note, um, keep your eyes out for the cool stuff and, uh, thanks to our audience for listening to another episode of the Atonicast. I love it when Kirsten's in charge. <laughs>